Let's pray and we're going to get started. Father, we're grateful for another opportunity to be together. Thank you, Father God, for this day that you've made, Father. We're grateful, Father, for another day to have opportunity to live and move and have our being in you and to learn about you as we inhabit this tent, Father God, in this dimension, Lord, right now. Thank you, Father, that you give us the grace, Lord, to occupy until you come, Jesus. Thank you, Father God, and it's a grace to overcome, not just to endure, Father. We're thankful for that, and we're thankful, Father, for the Holy Ghost, who's our teacher and is the one who will anoint and fill my mouth with the words of wisdom. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God, and bring revelation and, and grace to the hearer, Lord God, and and sight, Father God, to our eyes. And we're giving you all the glory and honor. Father, glorify yourself through this experience tonight and bring honor and majesty to our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're talking about concepts of the Spirit-led life, and we're going to move right into things. I'm not going to waste any time at all. We're going to go right into things. I'm going to set my gum right there. Don't let me forget about it. Okay, so I think we last left off. I'm, I can't go into any um, refreshing or review. I'm gonna, we're just going to go right into where we left off last week. Uh, I will just kind of hit where we where the comma was placed in terms of where we left off, and that was we were talking about how we being three in one, spirit, soul, and body, we have to train and develop each part of who we are and that all parts are subject to the growth and mature are subject to growth and maturity. But the thing about it is, it's like, you know, it's like F.F. F. Bosworth said, he said, you know, the, a lot of Christians, they're really, really, uh, uh, ignorant about their faith and the weakness thereof. They, he, they make comments about my faith is just not strong. I can't seem to get to the place that my faith really pulls and manifests the things in the spiritual dimension into this dimension. You know, what is the deal about my faith? Well, the bottom line is, man, you know, when you put the focus and understanding of, uh, uh, you know, the limitation to your focus and understanding on the three square meals that you give and feed your flesh every day and the education and the knowledge and things that you seek with your soul and your spirit only gets one measly cold snack a week, what do we expect? And I mean, I really like that what he says. You know, that's the thing. You know, we expect to have a strong spirit. Faith is a substance of the spirit. It's not a thing of the soul. Outside of the seat of your will and decision to believe and engage that process, engage that reality. It's not a soulish thing. It's not a fleshly thing. So if you have weak faith, if you have an inability to move in faith, it's because there is a weakness of the spirit from a spiritual perspective. There, that's where the problem lies. And a lot of it is to do with this very issue that we are not developing our spirits. We are not developing a consciousness, a spirit consciousness, an awareness of who we are spirit first. You know, and I, you know, I've just, I've kind of started doing a little uh, uh, confession, you know, whenever I teach or preach. And would you just say that with me? Just say, I am spirit first, made in the image of my father. I am spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. See, I think it's important to make that confession because you're hearing yourself say, I'm spirit first. 
That's putting the order the way God sees it versus I am a soul and I am fully aware. I am self-aware. I'm a self-aware soul. Well, you know what? It's time to put the focus where it needs to be put on, and that's our spirits. We put enough focus on our mind and our, and our bodies. You know, we know too much about feeding our bodies. We feed them too much. I mean, I'm talking about myself, you know, not just everybody else, but I mean, I'm a, I love food. Well, what about our spirits? We need to love the spiritual food. We need to love and, and desire that our spirits grow and mature. Okay, so, you know, and I gave you some scriptures. You know, Matthew 4.4 4 is kind of a keystone, uh, golden text, if you will. Jesus' words in my Bible and yours, it says, Man shall not live by bread alone. Well, if man shall not be, live by bread alone, you know he's not just, he, he has to be talking about the, the natural bread there because that's what man normally lives by. <laughs> you know, and bread is just a general term for sustenance, for food. He says, man shall not live by that sustenance or food alone. Well, then that means, well, what does he mean? He says, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Well, you don't eat words from a physical standpoint. So he's got to be talking about some other part of who you are that also has to eat too. Just like you eat in the natural, you have to eat spiritually. And that's what he's talking about. So if you're going to develop and live spiritually, you've got to consume food just like you do physically. And the way and what you consume is the word of God. And if you look at that, that's a continuing action verb. That means the the word proceeds means it continues to come out, continues to come out. Okay. The way what God has to say, did you know God's speaking right now? Right now he's speaking. His words are eternal, it says. And if something's eternal, then that means it's alive. You know, I mean, it can't be, it can't be dead and be eternal. <laughs> you know, that's the way to look at it. And matter of fact, Hebrews 4 says, the word of God is living, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's, it's alive. It's living. Hallelujah. Okay, and then uh, we saw some other scriptures. Peter talks about as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. He's saying the milk of the word. He's not talking about dairy, cow-rendered milk. He's talking about some other kind of milk. Well, it's the milk of the word. Again, what is that for? It's for our spiritual growth, okay? It's for us to, to mature and develop our spirits. Then we see Jude one twenty talks about, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. There, you know, we're think, harking back to what I was saying about F.F. F. Bosworth and what he said about how many Christians comment on how weak their faith is. Well, here's a direct verse to apply to that. If you have weak faith, what can you do to build it up? Right here it is in Jude one twenty, Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. How? Praying in the Holy Spirit. So see, we see a focus, and you don't pray in the Holy Spirit with your mind. You pray in the Holy Spirit through your spirit, allowing the a spirit-born utterance to come through your spirit. But you make the choice and through the seed of decision, your will to release that utterance. Okay, so there is that process from a soulish perspective. Perspective. Other than that, the utterance is a spirit-born one, and so it it builds us up spiritually. And then we see in Ephesians chapter 4, there's another way that we're fed, our spirit is fed spiritually. There's another way that there's an input, and it's through the fivefold ministry. And there's a nice um, 
number of verses, 11 through 15, to go and read about the fivefold ministry and the working thereof. And, and, you know, that's the fivefold ministry gifts that are placed in the body. And if you want to talk about proof, as far as I'm concerned, for the reason why we need to assemble together, it's this right here. Because the five, I don't know about you all, but God doesn't place fivefold ministry gifts in every family that I've ever met. You know, you know what I'm saying? He doesn't place fivefold ministries in every household. He doesn't place fivefold ministries in, you know, in every little group that would assemble together. They're placed as he wills, severally as he wills. But the thing is, there's got to be a context for, for, for assembly and then for those fivefold ministries to, to be operating in that context. And, and to me, it's an assembly. It's, it's, and guess what? It's the church. That's, that's the way I see it. I mean, it's pretty easy. The model is pretty easy for me to understand logically and see that that's a necessity for the church. We have to meet together. Why? Well, there's a, but outside of just the need for relationship and discipleship, guess what? The fivefold ministry gifts uh, uh, flow through that context too. So a lot of people are saying, well, the church age is something for the old culture, the old generations. We're moving to a higher level where we don't need the church anymore or whatever. Well, I mean, come on now. You know, let's just use a little bit of logic here. And we can see the need for it just reading those scriptures. I don't know about you, but I mean, you know, I, it's not every day you just run into fivefold ministry, ministry gifts and anointings, you know, here, there, and yonder. It's just you just don't run into that. But you that's why we need the church, to have that context for those gifts to be uh, to be released. Okay, and then we talked about, um, you know, we kind of moved into this, and then we had to shut down pretty quick. But talking about salvation, that's kind of a, a good thing to start, you know, winnowing down here to the essence of being, you know, learning how to identify the inward witness. Okay, that's where we're headed. We're headed to learning how to inter- identify our spirit, the spirit, our spirit's voice, the inward witness, the inward knowing. Because if we're going to talk about being led by the spirit, if we're going to talk about being used in the ninefold spiritual gifts, you, they're going to come that way. You have to be able to hear your inner voice. You have to be able to identify your inner man and, and the impression that comes through your inner man. If you can't do that, you're not going to be able to be used in the ninefold gifts of the spirit because that's where they're going to come through. That's where the utterance is going to, to, to manifest. And so you've got to identify that voice. You've got to identify that inward knowing. Know what, and you've got to become familiar with that. What is that? How can I locate that? And one of the great things I think to kind of start with from a model perspective is just the salvation experience itself. Because that happens to be the first real stumbling block with a lot of Christians is the, the, the assurance of their salvation, you know? I mean, has anyone ever worked with somebody that is just not sure? And yet your heart all the time is sure of it because there's an inward knowing as you talk with them, you're saved, brother, you're saved, sister. There's no way to but, but yet there's, you can see a conflict in their soul. And that's the reason because it's a, it's a, it's an issue of this, uh, of between the soul and the spirit and they're staying here and not going here. They haven't learned to identify the inward witness. Okay. And so, and the, and that's the issue. It's with the spirit that you know that you're saved. 
And the soul, the problem is, is what did we say the voice of the soul was? It was intellect, there were reason, and emotions. And and the thing about the emotions and the intellect are is that they're fickle. Emotions are fickle to the circumstance. You know, if the circumstance is wonderful, then your emotions are wonderful. If the circumstance is challenging, your emotions are challenged. And so if the limitation of your experience and, and your understanding of your salvation is, is, is anchored to that experience, then it's going to be fickle too. And it's going to be fickle with your mood and your emotions. Can you see why people struggle? I just don't know that I'm saved. Because they'll be up for a while, but as soon as they mess up and then condemnation and guilt comes, then all of a sudden it's going to be challenging whether or not they're saved. Because the the limitation, I mean, they're limited in their ability to understand and to be assured of that salvation. Because the salvation, and here's the problem, because the salvation is not a spiritual or a soulless experience. It's a spiritual one. It's a spiritual truth. Okay? Now, the soul becomes saved after the spiritual experience, but that's a process of the renewing by the Word of God. But then again, that comes by way of revelation from your spirit to your soul. So again, you've got, we've got to get spirit focused, um, folks, to really, and, and learn how to grow our spirits. So listen to what this says. You know, Romans 8 16 says, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit. So let me start, stop for just a second. The spirit, capital S. Okay, so we're talking about the Holy Ghost. The spirit bears witness with our spirit, little s, that we are the children of God. That proves out exactly what I was just saying with regard to the assurance of your salvation. It comes by way of the inward witness of the Holy Ghost with your spirit. So you have to, right off the bat, this is a great, I think this is a great litmus or test, if you will, of your ability to hear your inward man. If you pause and just go pierce past and just allow the storm of confusion and emotion and everything up here to just stop and you get quiet before the Lord and you, you focus on your inner person, what is the voice telling you there? What is the inward knowing? Is there is there a is there a peace? Can you identify and touch a an, a peace an inward reality here, regardless of what's going on here? The answer is most assuredly yes, you can, but it takes a process of you learning how to do that. I'm not going to tell you that you can just like immediately oh, but at the same time, it, once you learn how to identify it, the voice is there, the inward voice is there. The problem may be that you've got to turn down this voice. Turn it down and tune in to this voice. See, it's a different, different dimension. It's a diff, the channel is, is different. And so that's the problem is that our channel is tuned to this all the time and, and to this. But what about this channel? There's a broadcast all the time here. A heavenly broadcast. And we need to learn how to tune to that and stay tuned to that and keep this as much as possible at bay, okay? The bottom line is, how do you know that you're saved? The Spirit bears witness with your spirit. 
And what that means is, is that he comes right alongside your spirit and his voice joins with yours to confirm the reality there. It's like someone coming alongside of you and saying, that's right, sister. That's that's right, brother. That's right. You know, have you ever been in a situation, an argument, if you will, with people about a, a, a subject? Doesn't it do your soul good? I mean, isn't it helpful? Doesn't it strengthen and buoy your confidence when someone comes, someone comes up and goes, he's right. She's right. That's right. What he said is right. That's called a co-witness. See what I'm saying? That's called someone bearing witness with you. Y'all see that? That's what the Holy Spirit does. He bears witness with your spirit. There should be an inward knowing, and I'm going to guarantee you that there is, and every single one sitting here that knows Jesus is their personal Lord and Savior. You've been recreated in his image. You're made of his substance. You doggone right. You're, that substance, it vibrates with a frequency in tune with him. I mean, it does. And so what you have to do is tune into that frequency. You have to learn to tune into it. And the wonderful thing about this is, is once you have a few simple lessons and you learn how to tune into it, you, it grows and grows and grows and you just, you, you never forget that. Now you can get busy and you can get familiar and you can let things go because it happens to everyone. But at the same time, you can always come back. You know, the co-witness potential is always there. And that's what you're looking for. That's how you find your identification. It's the, it's the identification and co-witness of the Holy Ghost with your spirit. Okay, so let's move on here. Keep my notes uh, organized here. So what we have to do is, is we have to always, this is what we have to learn, to always ground our experience with God to the Spirit. Ground it like a lightning rod. Everything you do when it comes to your life and it comes to God, you ground it to the Spirit. Every single thing, every single connection, there has to be a grounding to the Spirit. It cannot stay holistically here. If it has to do with God, you have to ground it to the spirit because that's who God is. That's where he is. That's who the one who teaches you the spirit of God is. He's spirit. He's inside our spirit, identifying and bearing witness with our spirit. So everything you do, if you're going to hear the voice of the spirit, if you're going to learn about the things of the spirit, if you're going to be led by the spirit, if you're going to move in the gifts of the spirit, you better be grounded to the spirit in your experiences. Does that make sense? It Sure it does. It does to here. It doesn't make sense here, but it makes sense here. And, and this is particularly true whenever you have a fairly unregenerate mind. In other words, if you're new in the things of God and you have not renewed your mind by way of the word and revelation and understanding that comes through the Spirit to, your, to illuminate your mind, you better be grounded in everything you do. You better be grounding it back to the Spirit. Because the, you can, and we're going to talk about this, renew your soul into the reality of, his, of the Spirit. That's called saving your soul. There's a salvation process for the soul. Salvation process of the Spirit. That's the thing that happens 
2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Well, we know the creature that becomes new is not our soul. We know the creature that becomes new is not our fleshly body. It's something else. Well, it's, got, it's our spirit. That becomes new, okay? Becomes born again. That's what Jesus said. You know, it becomes born again. Well, then what about the rest of us? Well, there's a threefold salvation. There's a salvation spirit first. Then there's a salvation soul that's a process of your life being led by the Spirit, grounding to the Spirit, moving by way of the Spirit in, in, in feeding and, and growing your Spirit, and then that process of the Holy Ghost and the Word of God that brings revelation and rhema and understanding and enlightenment to your soul saves then your soul. It saves your soul. And then our, our physical bodies will be saved whenever Jesus cracks the sky. Hallelujah. And then it says that mortality will be taken over by immortality. It'll be swallowed up. And at that point in time, our body will be transferred or uh, transformed into the likeness of Jesus right now, who's at the right hand of the Father. And we'll have a body that transcends all dimensions, just like Jesus' body does. Okay, but that, that salvation process isn't going to take place until Jesus cracks the sky. I mean, you know what I'm saying, until he comes back. But that's going to happen. Mark my words. You don't believe me? Well, one of these days as we're going up to heaven, I'm, I'm going to look over at you and go, Hey, how you like your new body? Hallelujah. It's, it doesn't feel weak. I don't have any aches or pains. You know, I can see like a hawk. You know, I mean, I just, you know. Anyway, I digress. Okay, um, so the bottom line is you got to always learn to, to ground everything back to the Spirit. Otherwise, what will happen is you're going to struggle with guilt. You're going to struggle with lack of confidence before God. If you, if you remain only in this dimension in your relationship with God because of the fickleness of your emotions, the fickleness of your and lack and ignorance that you, that you uh, move in here, it's going to be, it's going to manifest into a roller coaster of your experience with God. Okay? So let your spirit or heart be the driver in the relationship, not your soul. And you know what? Not your understanding either. You know what? The Holy Ghost told me not too long ago. You know what? You, we need to, we need to yield our right to understand. We need to yield our right to understand. Do you know that that can, that can inhibit your ability to grow spiritually? And in fact, it does inhibit. Why? Because have you ever seen, well, it's the whole, it, it, uh, there's several different things and I don't want to get off, you know, on a rabbit trail, but at the same time, I think it's good and we can learn some things. But when it comes down to the old saying of seeing is believing, well, understanding is seeing. So if you're not going to believe till you understand, then you right there have disqualified yourself from basically the, the fullness of the kingdom of God manifesting in your life. Because kingdom of God is of faith. <laughs> and faith is not about understanding. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Faith is not a soulish thing. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. We talked about that. So you need to learn to yield your right to understand. You know, sometimes I, I've used this analogy as as a parent. 
my my expectation of obedience in my children isn't always based on their ability to understand. Why? It's based on them responding to my word. No, that's the truth. And then when they ask me a question, has did any of your moms or dads tell you because I told you so? Did they stop and give you a, a, a you know a, a two or three paragraph graph explanation of why they're asking or expecting your obedience in that area? Oh no! And in fact, maybe the rod came out. <laughs> you know. You know what is God? How, how, how can how? Why should we expect it to be different with God? We're created in His image after His likeness. Do you think there's some moments in our relationship with God as we walk as one of his children that we we probably don't need to ask him why? We just need to do it because I told you so? Yeah, there's I've had some because I told you so moments with God. And you know what? That's that's the whole seeding your right to understand. Just I think it's important for all of us right now to just make a decision in our hearts tonight. Ask the Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Ghost, I just want to confess to you, I don't have to understand everything. I don't. You know, the Bible says, don't be like the mule, where you have to put a bit in its mouth, and you've got to pull with the rein one way, or pull with the rein the other to get that mule to go the right direction, or that horse. It says, don't be like that. But yet, how many of us are that way with God? You know, it's like God is almost having to grab you by the lip and pull your head to go the right direction. Whenever the whole time he's been leaning like a person that, on a well-trained horse, you know, i got to hold this up or it doesn't record why. Like a person on a well-trained horse, that horse will respond to the shift in body weight and not even anything to do with the reins. If you ever watch a horse that is that is like exceedingly, trained and responsive to their rider, you will see that horse and rider are like one to where all the rider has to do literally is lean forward, lean back, lean to the side, whatever, and the horse just immediately responds. He ain't out there grabbing a hold of the right lane and plow reining that thing's head to the right or plow reining that thing's head to the left. We, We don't want to be like that with God either, you know. Not to say that God's riding us like a horse. I'm not trying to say that. But you, I think y'all will see the analogy, you know, in being led by the Spirit. I think a lot of us want to be plow reined. Sometimes I think I do. It'd almost be easier sometimes. Yeah, just jerk my head, God. I, you know. But the Bible says don't be like that. You know, don't be like that. Okay. And listen to what Romans 8, 1 says, and this kind of, this really confirms what we were talking about with respect to the salvation thing and the knowledge of it being a spiritual knowledge and understanding. There is therefore now in Romans 8, 1, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. A lot of us stop right there. Praise God. I'm in Christ Jesus. I, there's no condemnation for me. But you no, 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 you need to go on and read the rest of the verse to understand the reality of what this is really talking about. Because listen to what it says as we go on. It says, in, in after that, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. 
So if you, if you find yourself struggling with condemnation, with guilt, I would submit to you, Exhibit A, Romans 8, 1, that the likelihood is, is that you are listening too strongly to your soul. You are limiting your, your understanding and your relationship to the soul who is vexed about with, with the circumstances and who is fickle to the emotion response to that. So it says, don't walk after the flesh, walk after the spirit. For those that walk after the spirit, you're in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation because the reality of your righteousness in God is there, not here. See what I'm saying? So when we disciple people that that suffer under a lot of guilt and condemnation, this is what we have to take them to. It's not just praise God, brother. Romans 8, 1, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Well, yeah, that's true. But guess what? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You got to get that part in there, too. <laughs> Y'all see that? Again, what did I say? We're grounding everything back to the spirit, grounding it back. You want to know how important it is to get past condemnation? Apostle John tells us in 1 John 3, 21, 22, two of my favorite. I love these scriptures. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And how important is it to have confidence toward God? Because it says if you have confidence toward God, verse 22, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. You think there's a reason for unanswered prayer? Oh, yeah, there's a reason for unanswered prayer. And I'm going to submit to you, Exhibit B here, that the possibility might be that your heart condemns you. And your prayers aren't getting any deeper or beyond the limitation of what is nothing but a soul experience with God. Y'all see that? And it says that if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence and whatever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We can't leave that part off too. But I want you to see that the condemnation issue is very important. We got to get past that for, for, um, prevailing prayer. Okay. So let's sum up this part by saying that your head can't be your heart. Your head can't be your heart. Don't let your head run or rule your experience or you'll be off. You'll get off real quick. And, you know, I can give you a good example. Forgiveness and true love. Love, true love, agape love, the God kind of love, not the love that is conditional, but the love that's unconditional, that's eternal, that is the substance of who God is. God is love, is agape God is agape. Well, that true love, agape, has been shed abroad in our spirit, okay, by the Holy Ghost. That true love is in us. It's it's our substance, too, because we're created in the image of agape, so we're agape, too, spiritually. Spiritually, we are. But the problem is that love is a spiritual substance. It's not a soulish substance. It's not a flesh substance, Okay. And so if the limitation of your love in relationship is only deeper, is only as deep as your soul, you never get to agape. Do y'all see that? 
So what has to happen is, is we have to figure out how to tap the reality of agape, which is in the dimension of the spirit, and release that unto people in the in this in this realm of relationship. But that is a spiritual activity. That is a spiritual reality. So forgiveness and true love. Love is a spiritual matter and it's a spiritual substance. And so then you can get to the things like Jesus said that seem to confound the mind that we are to love our enemies. We're to pray for those that despitefully use us. We're to forgive others when it seems impossible to do so. And and how can you do this? Because you can't reconcile forgiveness in the mind whenever you've been molested. You, my mind doesn't reconcile that, and I've never been molested. But just thinking about other people that I know that have been molested sexually, my mind can't reconcile how you can forgive that. Come on now. I mean, am I speaking reality here? My mind does not. You know how my mind reconciles? My mind reconciles killing that person. I mean, I know that sounds, I'm just being completely frank here. I mean, my mind reconciles doing something really bad to that person. I'm sorry, I'm just a country boy from Noble County. Ken, you know what kind of thoughts are running through your mind about people like that? Because I know you've had them too. <laughs> but you know, here's the reality. So, so, then, so then this is what it comes to. This is the question. How do we forgive them? See, and we could add the whole laundry list of sins that have been committed against us. I just happen to choose that one. That's a heinous thing to me. A little child being molested by an adult. That's a heinous thing to me. So I I can't reconcile it here. So then what I have to do is go somewhere that that I'm not. (laughs) And that is God. And that is the substance of who I've been made of. Agape love. And so what I have to do is is tap that reality and release the the life and energy from that perspective and dimension. That's the only way you can forgive somebody like that. Y'all, yeah, I mean, and so what you have to do is it, you realize that it's a spiritual thing. It's not a soulish thing. It's not a fleshly thing. Listen to what Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Yeah, that's an Old Testament verse, but i got to tell you, that transcend, that is a, an eternal principle of the kingdom of God. It is by the spirit, through our spirit, that we do what we need to do. And to truly forgive, that is a spiritual thing. Because what that is, what true forgiveness is, is the release of unconditional Love. It's the release of the essence of the Father in whom you've been created unto that person. And the only way you can do that is to do it by way of your spirit. It's a spiritual thing. By that seat of decision of your will and the soul. Now, there is a process in the soul, and it's just making that decision by an act of your will. I'm going to choose the reality here and not here. And so you make that decision and then you release that, and it's an act of faith, folks. It's not an act that renders 
a lot of times your emotions washed, your thoughts and memories washed completely. It's a process here. Now, sometimes there's glorious release in people's souls when they do that. Other times it's a process of renewal. You know, it is. Well, anyway, there's a lot to talk about there, and I don't have time to really preach on that or to teach on that. So let's identify and locate a little bit deeper the elements of our being. <clears throat> you know, we've talked about some of this, so I'm going to skip through some of this. But um, we talked about who our spirit is. We're spirit first, spirit first. And for the Christian, it's pneuma. Okay, that's you see that? That's the original language from which we translate the word spirit in the New Testament. Okay, it's the pneuma man, which means a forceful breath, a deep breath, if you will. We talked about God creating us in his image. We're created spirit first, as he is spirit. Okay, and uh, okay, so let's get down to this. The spirit is often referred to as the heart, okay? And if you look in scriptures like Romans 10.10, for with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's a distinction of an element of who you are in the salvation process, and it's with the heart. And and when you look at the original language that that word heart is actually translated from, it's translated from a, a word that really does mean the center of your spiritual and soulless being the absolute core of who you are spirit first that's who the heart that's what the heart is and it says with that part of you you believe into righteousness okay and you know that you can't believe with your physical heart so when it says the heart you know it can't be talking about your physical heart your physical heart just does nothing but move blood through your body okay that's not the heart it's talking about. So it's talking about something else. It's talking about the core, the center of who you are, spirit first. And in the, in the, in the Greek lexicon, Thayer's, it's, it's actually the center and seat of spiritual life. That's what that, what that lexicon says about the word heart. The center and seat of spiritual life. It's with that that man believes unto salvation, or believes unto righteousness, and confessions made unto salvation. So God is spirit, and we're created in his likeness, so we're spirit. We fellowship with him in the spirit and by the spirit. And that's the thing that separates us from animals, from the other creation. Animals don't have spirits, folks, if we didn't know that. To the degree that many people you know, embody almost spirits and animals and how they have relationship with them. <laughs> you know, as animals are a wonderful thing, but I think sometimes we get off base <laughs> in how we relate to animals. I mean, it, I, I know people that have more respect, revere, and honor for their pet than they do their fellow human being. That's wrong. It's just, it is, it's wrong. And, you know, you see these organizations, you know, they come on board and they run all these sad puppy dog eye looking 
animals that are sitting in cages and all this kind of stuff, and they want you to give to those organizations. That's great. I'm not discounting that. But at the same time, we've got such human need, folks. It's unbelievable. I have a hard time reconciling concerns for that when I've got other issues with my fellow man going on out here. It's just, it's just something to get us off base. And then, then we got people that say, well, who is man that he would think he's, he's, you know, the chief, the chiefest of animals, you know, the chiefest of animals or the chiefest of creation on the, well, you know, who is man? Man is, is after God. And God says that about us. We're creating an image of God. I don't know about you all, but you know, let's just go ahead and just take it right on down to the nails and brass tacks here. I don't believe that I would sacrifice my only begotten son for an animal. No, the father did that for one created being, and that's us. He didn't do that for the animals. (laughs) Now, the cool thing is, is that the connection to the creation is restored through, you know, through Jesus' work too, okay? And it says the whole of creation groans for the revelation of the sons of God, you know, through that process. And there's deep things there that I don't even understand. But, you know, God's, let's just say God's complete in his, in his, in his uh, uh, plan there. But we are the pinnacle of his creation Okay, so it's referred to as the heart. The spirit's also referred to as the inward man. Second Corinthians 4.16 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. See, that's talking right there immediately between a distinct, drawing a distinction, distinction between the outward man, which is the flesh, the soul, and then the inward man. Okay, the outward man being the flesh, predominantly the inward man being your spirit. It says the outward man, you know, we see it. We look in the mirror every day. We see a little, maybe another wrinkle. We feel another ache or something like that. We see the result of that perishing, you know, day by day. And I'm not, I'm not talking against, I'm not talking against God's healing and, and, uh, his redemptive work in, in walking in divine health. At the same time, the Bible says it's appointed once for man to die and then the judgment. So I'm sorry, we're not going to live a physical life forever unless Jesus cracks the sky and we get our our body saved, like we were talking about a while ago. We're all going to die one of these days, physical death. For that to happen, our body has to waste, has to perish. You know, that process works. And it says, though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Praise God for the possibility for an inward growth and renew, renewal and maturation. And that inward man, guess what? It's the internal or inner man or conscience. Thayer even says conscience here. That's interesting because the conscience is the voice of your spirit. It's the voice of your inward man is your conscience. Romans seven twenty two. for I delight in the law of God after the inward Man, same as above. Thayer talks about this from the original language. It's the internal or inner man. Okay, that's where that's translated from. A delight after God, after the inward man. Romans 2.28, For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, 
But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision that is of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Man, I could stop and we could talk here for a long time. But here Paul's drawing the distinction between the letter of the law and the spirit, you know, in terms of the, the law of God in this. And he's saying it's not about what you're doing to get things right from an outward perspective. The work is one that starts inward and works its way out. It's what happens to the inner man. It's the process of uh, that's, that takes place inwardly, not from the outward perspective. First Peter 3, 4 says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. So here Peter talks about the hidden man of the heart. He refers to our spirits as the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible. Okay, so then the spirit is also referred to as the belly, the belly. John seven thirty seven, wonderful, wonderful scripture. This is one of my favorites. <laughs> Jesus says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Out of his belly. Well, that's not talking about, it's not meaning you're going to vomit physically. So, because that would be nasty. (laughs) I don't see much life coming from that, an exhortation coming from that experience. So what belly, what do you think the belly is referring to? It can't be referring to this belly. It's got to be referring to another part. It's referring to the inward core, the spirit, where your spirit is located. It's right here, the core of your being. Proverbs twenty twenty seven. the spirit of man. This is a wonderful scripture for you to file away in your remembrance and, and bring back to your remembrance about you being spirit first and about what There's so much to preach on just in this one scripture. Listen to what it says, and I say it a lot. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. That scripture right there, there's so much to talk about. That is really a golden text of the interaction between God and your spirit and then your spirit and the rest of your being. Your spirit is is God's flashlight. His light comes through your spirit and illuminates the rest of your being to bring understanding and renewal to that life and to that light. And notice that life comes from the belly. This represents the inner man, the core of a person's being, his or her spirit. Now let's talk real quickly about the soul. See, I'm just kind of taking this down. We're getting into more and more specificity here. And we're building to being able to identify the inward witness. But you need to understand the stark differences between the soul and the spirit to be able to know what voice you're listening to. And so we talked about the the soul. I'll just give you just a little bit more about this. It is the intellect of man. It's the sensibilities. It's the will. It's the reasoning. It's the emotion. It's that part of your being that we call the soul. It's the part that reasons, it's the part that thinks, the part that decides, and the part that relates in emotion. And loosely, we refer to it as three as a three-component um, uh, aspect to the mind, will, and emotions. That's the soul, loosely, the mind, will, and emotions. So the, the mind being your intellect, your ability for reason, the will being the seed of deci- decision, your decision-maker, 
And then, of course, we know what the emotions are. That's a particular voice of your soul. It's the core of your personality. There's nothing wrong with your soul. It's the core of a lot of your personality that we see expressed when we relate to each other. It's your uniqueness as an individual. It's the cash of your experiences in life that can affect that expression too, good or bad. So we're very familiar with these attributes, and so we don't need to spend a whole lot of time locating it like we, you know, like we did for the spirit. But we need to understand, though, how the soul works in our relationship with God and the role that it's supposed to play. Most importantly, the soul does not, folks, contact the spirit realm. Now, you make a decision to contact the spirit realm with your spirit. But your soul does not transcend that dimension except by and through your spirit, good or bad. We talked about witchcraft. We talked a little bit. We talked about people that do it from the bad perspective. There are, there are people that have developed themselves along these lines spiritually. For the dark side, if you will. No, they have. I mean, they really have developed them. And it's a sad thing. And I, I wish I had time to really talk about that, but I'm not going to put an emphasis on that. First Corinthians 2.14, listen to what this says. But the natural mind, this proves out what I just said. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. This is Paul talking to church people. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to church people, telling them that, folks, if you're going to, if you're going to just limit your, your understanding of the things of God to your soulish experience, you're going to, it's going to, you're going to come up to a place that all you can reconcile is foolishness pretty quick. Because it's not going to make sense here. Why? Because they're spiritually understood. They're spiritually discerned. And the natural man here in the original language is the sukikos man, or suke, or if you will, in today's vernacular, psyche. Ever heard of psyche? Well, that's a prefix for everything to do with the mind. Psychology, the study of the mind. Emotions. Intellect. Well, that's the man it's talking about. The psychological part of us. Our natural mind. That does not understand or receive, it says, it does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. When are we going to learn this? Trying to understand or reason out the things of the Spirit through your soul, folks, will never, capital N-E-V-E-R, it will never work. When you're trying to reason these things out, the spiritual things, when you're trying to touch the spiritual things through your soul, it's not going to work, folks. You receive revelation through your spirit by the word of God, which then illuminates your mind. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts, you know, uh, shining a light on them. God uses your spirit to enlighten you. He contacts man through your spirit or through his spirit. And so here's something to consider. The primary reason and mode really for religion is because of this issue. If you stop and think, man doesn't receive the enlightenment of God's truths by way of their mind. So then what happens is, is they seek to establish truths of their own. That's the real simple definition of religion when it comes right down to it. And listen to Romans 10.3, what Paul says here. 
since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Right there it is. And this is the reason for and what often happens in the church setting is that the limit of the experience is a soulish one. And when they come up very quickly against the wall of an ability to understand the concepts and the things of God, which are only received and understood from a spiritual perspective, they create and build their own edifice of understanding and knowledge of that. And it's wrong. And then they camp out there. And they say it's of God. And they say this is God. And this is what God wants us to do and whatever. And it just, it's, and it's death, folks. It's not God. Because all they've done is they've, they've created something of their own understanding, which is foolishness. So when we don't understand something of God, we have to be careful, folks, that we don't seek to establish our own interpretations. And so let me give you some examples of this. I just taught on one on Sunday. It's baptism. You can see very clearly how people have come up against that wall because what happens is, is they get in such a pursuit and limitation of soulish knowledge as being the end and be end all be all of the experience with God that they never really attain to the fullness of revelation. So they stop at a half truth and they bit camp on that. And so like with baptism, for instance, the half truth might be, I have to have baptism or I'm not truly saved because they haven't sought to receive the fullness of the understanding of the scriptures about water baptism. Maybe it's also too, you know, uh, um, what was that guy's name? Saint, uh, I'm not bringing it to mind. Augustine. He's the guy that came up with that concept about the, uh, the absolute sin. In other words, even infants are born into an immediate separation from God because of the sin of Adam. Well, there is scripture that says because Adam sinned, we all sinned. Yes, that's true. Because Adam died, we are all going to die because of that. Okay, that's true. But the problem is, is you can't just say that. Let me, let me ask you this. Does an infant have the ability to even understand or have a conscience to make a will against uh, a, a decision against God, against you? No, they don't have that consciousness. They don't have the consciousness because they don't have an understanding and a maturity to the point to come to the place that they become aware of an ability to make a decision against the truth. Y'all see what I'm saying? Now, and so what happens is then then it becomes this thing where we've got to save the infant. So we need to sprinkle them because that's the only aspect of this experience that we can reconcile, you know, with the with redemption for an infant level. They can't do anything else, but at least we can sprinkle them. And then a lot of people go on their whole lives and say that I've gone through that. I'm good to go. See, no, that's not the case. The, the Bible doesn't doesn't teach that. So baptism is a good example, I think, of that. Gifts of the Spirit are another one, too. You see a lot of people that take the Scriptures and a lot of denominations have taken the Scriptures and they've limited, through the limitations and the seeking of their understanding and leaving the Spirit behind, 
They've come up to the wall and then they create their own concept by, through the limitation of their understanding and it's wrong. And that is the concept that the gifts died with the saints. You know, that the power of the Holy Ghost died with the, with the apostles. Well, that's not Bible. You know, that's not Bible. That's a half-truth, or not even a half-truth. And then what happens is, is you end up with a situation where, you know, you, you have a, the likeness of God, but deny the power thereof. And that's what, what I'm talking about here. Just a couple minutes left. So here's the deal, folks. We, can, we have to realize that, that we can do everything that we do in church strictly from a soulless experience. We can pray. We can worship God. We can preach. Yes, that's right. We can preach. There been, you know how many sermons have been delivered from nothing but the, the old soul? Oh, my goodness. We can prophesy even, folks. We can give. We can love. We can serve. We can minister. I mean, I can go on and on here. Everything we do at church, we can do it from a strictly a soulless perspective and drawing from that realm only. From a suke, the psyche, if you will. And, but we can also do it from the spirit. And that's the realm we have to draw from because that's where the life is at. And that's where the true anointing is at. And because of their nature, one is limited, the suke, and the other is not, the pneuma. So the psyche or suke part of us is going to be limited in its results. The other part, the pneuma, the spirit, is unlimited because it's made in the image of God. That's the substance of God. That's our connection to God. That's the habitation of the spirit of God is there. And that's where the anointing flows. In 1 Corinthians 14, 13 through 15 says, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. See, this is a great model here of what I'm just talking about. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So here we see basically the dichotomy, if you will, between the spirit and the soul in the process of prayer. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with my understanding. So he's saying you can pray from both tangents. Do you all see that? From both perspectives, from both dimensions, from both parts of your being. I will sing with the spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. See, the problem is in so much of the shallowness of the church experience as a whole is that we've only sang from the understanding. We've only prayed from the understanding. We've only ministered from the understanding. We've only spoken and preached from the understanding. The problem is, is that we have to be careful that we don't get taken up with knowledge and leave the spirit behind or out of the picture altogether. And the thing is, what happens when that, when that takes place is that you're going to get off, folks. You know, I'm just going to end with a story. 
I heard a minister that I have great respect for talk about an instance where one minister who was very well respected, you know, a Bible teacher, ends up in a scenario where the guy starts preaching and teaching some stuff that people are having some challenge with. It seems right. It seems new. It seems like something that, that you know, at least from a soulless perspective, is, is branching out in maturity of knowledge. But the problem is, is that a lot of the people that are looking here first, something isn't quite right when they go and listen to this guy. And the issue is, is that, you know, this particular minister went and he had an experience where... When he got up and when the, when he was sitting out in the audience and this guy got up and, and, and started teaching or preaching, something inside of him was just grating on him the whole time. This guy's off. This guy's off. Not a judgmental thing, just his inward knowing, a witness in his spirit. This guy's off. What he's teaching is not, is just off. Something's not right about this. He didn't know the fullness of what was off. He just knew something wasn't right. So then he goes up to him afterwards and he begins talking with him. You know what? I, I need to really have you show chapter and verse for what you just taught. I, I, I'm having a hard time reconciling what you taught with the Bible. And the guy tells him, oh, well, what I teach, you're not going to find in there. I'm way beyond that. That was what the guy's exact words were to this this brother. And, you know, I like what the minister said. He said, you know, the bottom line is if you're beyond that, then you're beyond me. I'm done. Because that's, that's, that's when you've got to the place that you have pursued and sought after knowledge above the spirit. You know, you've got after, out, out, off of the tangent and the foundation of the word of God. And I've taught, if I've taught one thing, I've taught this hundreds of times. If you all have been around me long enough, you've heard this. And that is everything must come back and be reconciled with the word. If it doesn't reconcile, then either Put it on the shelf, and the Holy Ghost will bring it back to you later because, because maybe you don't have enough word inside of you yet. You haven't experienced those verses that will bring revelation to you, or it'll go in file 13. Y'all see what I'm saying? If you can't reconcile it with the Word of God, if I say something that is not reconciled, if Pastor CJ says something and you can't reconcile with the Word of God, just go ahead and put that back to the side. <laughs> Please, okay? I'm telling you right now, that's what you've got to do. Oh, I'm well beyond that. You won't find what I'm teaching in that. My goodness, man. That's terrible. That's an immediate immediate sign post that, that he's off. Person's off. All right, well, let's pray and we'll, we'll uh, be done. Thank you, Father God, for the word. Holy Spirit, thank you that you will just bring and divide severally as, as the will of the Father in this situation would be, Father, to bring revelation and understanding about these issues and even go beyond what we discussed, O oh God. Thank you, Father God, that they will become something, Father, that will become an engrafted word to us, that we are learning, Father God, to place our focus on the Spirit. And, and learning how to grow, how to feed our spirits, how to identify the inward witness, how to be led by that inward witness, and how to know, Father God, that everything we do, we need to be able to reconcile with your precious word. Thank you, Father, for your protection over us, for the covenant right that we have with you, Father God, for uh, protection, Father God, for safety, for healing, Father, in our bodies, Lord. 
And we're just grateful, Father, for Jesus as always, the bread of life. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.